jujitsu. I'm going to learn jujitsu. Divers, coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, exotic bird masseuse, and writer for Wang's Shop Movie Magazine. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive Podcast, where myself and my co-host, Manda, look at the lesser-known, maybe obscure, and perhaps forgotten offerings available on streaming media services. The first film in what Marvel Studios is calling Phase 4, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is being released on September 3rd, 2021. But the fictional character has been around for a surprisingly long time. In this episode of the Deep Dive Microcast, we look at the history of Marvel's Shang-Chi, a history that goes back, believe it or not, over 100 years years. It is, in some ways, a bit of a risky move for Marvel, or as risky a move as an incredibly successful movie studio with a stellar track record can make. For thousands of years, the Ten Rings gave our family legendary power. My son, now they call to you. I'm not who you think I am. Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Rated PG-13. Before the first trailer began popping up online, most people weren't aware of Shang-Chi, much less the Marvel comic books in which the character was featured. However, it is worth noting that very few non-comic book fans had ever heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy before that film, so there is some precedent here. Now, back in May of 2020, we posted a microcast about the history of the Kung Fu movie craze of the 1970s. So be sure to check that one out if you already haven't, because it has relevance to this one. And you can find that on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. And shameless plug. In basic terms, the interest in martial arts during the late 1960s and early 1970s was spawned by the emergence of one man as the premier master of his time, Bruce Lee. Suddenly, the entertainment world was clamoring to find their own ways to exploit this newfound interest, and comic books were no exception. So, martial arts practicing superheroes have been around since at least the mid-1960s, with Early examples being Charlton Comics' Judo Master, who debuted in 1965, and DC Comics' Karate Kid, no relation to the 80s movie, who was introduced back in 1966. Now, the early 70s was a truly odd time for comic books. DC was trying to crawl its way back up to the top after a decade of Marvel Comics dominating the market. Meanwhile, at Marvel, their comics were getting decidedly weirder. 
The artwork got more psychedelic and the stories grew more cosmic in scope. Monsters also returned to comics. Having been effectively banned since the Comics Code was established during the 1950s, monsters like vampires and mummies were now allowed to darken the pages of comic books. Marvel presented its own takes on Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and even werewolves. The company was throwing everything onto shelves in order to maintain their dominance on comic book shelves. That also included licensing other properties to turn into comics. Marvel had huge success with licensing Conan the Barbarian from the estate of Robert E. Howard. And in 1972, Marvel attempted to get the license to publish a comic book based on a hugely popular television show, a show that almost starred Bruce Lee himself. as you can. Snatch the pebble from my hand. When you can take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. The series Kung Fu, starring David Carradine, told the story of Kwai Chang Kane, a Shaolin monk wandering the American Old West searching for his half-brother. The show was originally created by Bruce Lee, according to his wife. She claims that ABC stole the concept and storylines from Lee and made their own show with a different lead actor. Marvel was unsuccessful in obtaining the rights to make a comic book version of Kung Fu, most likely because the show was produced by Warner Brothers. Why does that make a difference? Well, Warner's also owns DC Comics, so there was a clear conflict there. Undeterred, Marvel instead chose to license another existing fictional character, one whose origins go all the way back to the early 1900s. Black and white, life and death, good and evil, two sides of a chess game. Two forces in the universe, one magnificent, the other sinister. It is said that the devil plays for men's souls. So does Dr. Fu Manchu, Satan himself, evil incarnate. Dr. Fu Manchu was a villainous character created by UK author Sax Romer back in 1913 and appeared first in a series of novels. Presented as a satanic-like character, Dr. Fu Manchu was known for his intricate schemes and for disposing of his enemies in grisly fashion. 
It was also an incredibly racist Asian caricature and gave Westerners a terribly skewed idea of Chinese culture that would linger for decades. Still, the character was, at the time, popular enough to make it to the big screen. Several motion pictures featuring Dr. Fu Manchu were produced from 1923 to as late as 1980. So what does this all have to do with Shang-Chi? Well, Marvel obtained the rights to the Fu Manchu character and all their ancillary characters. However, the company wasn't necessarily looking to use the Fu Manchu character as the star of his own comic. Instead, Marvel creators Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin used the Fu Manchu character as kind of a jumping off point to introduce a brand new character, Fu Manchu's son, Shang-Chi. The character, modeled after Bruce Lee himself, first appeared on the December 1973 issue of Special Marvel Edition. Two issues later, the popularity of the book was so evident, the title of the comic was changed to The Hands of Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. That comic would have a decade-long run, ending with issue number 125 in 1983. Shang-Chi would join a roster of Marvel martial arts-themed heroes like Iron Fist, White Tiger, and the Daughters of the Dragon. In the original comic book continuity, Shang-Chi was the son of Fu Manchu and an unnamed Caucasian woman, and he was trained from birth to be the ultimate warrior, proficient in all forms of martial arts. Raised to believe that his father was an altruistic man, Shang-Chi was more than happy to do his father's bidding until he encountered Fu Manchu's arch-nemesis from the novels, Sir Dennis Nayland Smith. After learning the truth from Smith, Shang-Chi renounces his father and begins fighting against him and his plans for global domination. Now, after the original run of the comic ended, Shang-Chi appeared in other titles and alongside other Marvel heroes like the Avengers and Spider-Man, eventually becoming an Avenger himself. In order to sidestep the problematic nature of the Fu Manchu name and character in the comics, he was eventually revealed to be an ancient Chinese sorcerer named Zheng Zhu, also known as the Marvel villain The Mandarin. Now, if that sounds familiar, you may recall the Mandarin as leader of the Ten Rings terrorist group in Iron Man 3. Where it has it, we will see the Mandarin's return in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. While Shang-Chi has never been one of Marvel's top-tier heroes, that ranking seems like it will change in a big way and propel the character to the A-list a status the character richly deserves. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we'd like to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com.
next time on the Deep Dive Podcast. It's our third season finale. Manda and I go on one final summer trip to our favorite amusement park-themed movies. So buy your ridiculously overpriced park tickets, get on those dangerously under-inspected rides, and join us then. And remember, don't try to eat cotton candy through your mask. clips used in the Deep Dive Microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios.